Wow, what an incredible week it has been. It's been full of so many things, and probably yours has as well. So many things that have been exciting, so many things you've had to plan for and prepare for, and in some things you've had to just go through because they are what they are, and it's called life. But here we are nonetheless on this morning, and we gather here to wonder if there might be a word from God for our hearts, something that would encourage us, something that would inspire us, something that would take us through the next week even. And we consider the words of the weeping prophet Jeremiah, and we, t- we hear today lessons as he would teach us about prayer for the nation. <clears throat> a number of years ago, while I was in ministry training, the fellow that was a dorm room guy with myself, he worked at J.C. Penney, and uh, as he worked at J.C. Penney to pay for his schooling, he called late one night, and he, he, said, he said, Kevin, can you all come and jump my car? He had an old Camaro, and it wouldn't start. It was a really bitterly cold night, and in Missouri, it gets real cold in Kansas, and so we were uh, on our way over there to jump his car. We got there, snow everywhere, <clears throat> we jumped his car, let the engine rev, but my buddy who had driven me over there and, um, and my friend whose car would not start are now gathered in the, in the cab of my friend's pickup as we're sitting there just idling and waiting in the heat, and we're trying everything we can. We've tapped everything, we've done everything, and my friend finally said, look, we didn't pray. And he said, duh, we didn't pray, let's pray. We prayed, he got out of the car, went over, turned on the car, and as if nothing had been wrong with the car, it started right on the spot. I do believe in prayer and in the power of prayer. I know that it doesn't always happen like that, does it? Not at all. I know we don't always see things happen immediately whenever we pray, nor in the way we always want them to happen. Yet, we come into his presence to pray and to talk to him. R.T. Kendall, an evangelist, writer, and preacher, said it this way, Don't worry about asking God about small things. With God, everything is small. We are just a blip on the eternal calendar and in time. Stormy Omardian wrote this, God is absolutely in charge. He controls not only the affairs of people and nations, but of the entire universe. Everything and everyone and everywhere is subject to his perfect rule. She goes on and writes this, once we grasp the powerful truth about the greatness of God, prayer ceases to be an uncertain, nervous kind of spiritual wishing, but it becomes something that we do. Jeremiah has been lamenting the condition of the people and the nation. What could have been if the people would have given themselves to God, to God's leadership, to God's preference for living, to God's holy ways. But he is talking to the people and challenging them that if they would turn to God, good things would happen. The leaders in the government had become so aggravated with him that they incarcerated him and they put him under the direction of the prison of the palace. And it was from there he continued to write and continued to talk and continued to say the things that he felt God would have him say. And I'm believing that God today wants to speak to us. But I think that he wants us to be able to quiet down. And I think he wants us to be able to unhook from all of the rat race of our life. It seemed like yesterday was last Sunday. 
and tomorrow is next Sunday. It's such a fast pace we live, but yet I believe God wants us to be able to absorb and to maybe slow-mo, slow motion some of this business of life and to be able to absorb and connect with him in ways that we maybe have not yet connected. Philip Yancey, a writer, said this, I become more convinced than ever that God finds ways to communicate with those who truly seek him, especially when we lower the volume of the surrounding music, the surrounding static, the surrounding chaos. Yancey went on to write, and he told about a spiritual seeker who had gone to a monastery, and when he arrived there, one of the monks was going to take him to his place where he would spend the weekend, and he would be spending that time in prayer. The monk said to him, I hope your stay is a blessed one. If you need anything, let us know, and we'll teach you how to live without it. We have so much and think we need to have more. We're so busy, yet we get bored. And sometimes we wonder why our nation is in chaos, or our lives are in chaos, or our families are in chaos, or the people around us are in chaos. And we realize it is in part because of the free will and the choices we have. But it is also, could it be that maybe we need to heed the words that Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, gives as he shares with us three important insights about prayer that show us how we can pray hope-filled prayers for our families and for our nation in which we live. The first three verses talk about the incredible privilege of prayer, the incredible privilege of prayer. Have you ever thought that you have the opportunity to talk to the king of the universe, the creator of all things, any day you want, as long as you want, about anything you would like to talk to him about. Isn't that absolutely amazing? That is mind-numbing and staggering if you really stop to think about it. You have the privilege of talking to your creator anytime about anything for as long as you want. Yet, there is something about it that we find to be a battleground. We don't really find ourselves waiting in prayer. But notice how the passage starts out here. It identifies in verse 1 that Jeremiah is in the confinement of the court. We understand that. But then he starts talking about the meat of the subject he wants to talk about. And in verse 3, it begins this way. God says, call to me. You notice the prayer and the opportunity of restoration, the opportunity of transformation, the opportunity of real heart change, change of mind and everything begins right here with the invitation of God. It isn't the people doing anything. It is the invitation of God that activates the whole idea of prayer. That is powerful to me. This is the invitation. I think this might be the reason why Jesus started out that pattern prayer we prayed a minute ago, our Father who is in heaven. It starts out by just acknowledging the one who has anything to do with everything. It is a creator. It is God. Everything begins with him. And God gives the invitation to the prophet to invite the people, to invite the people first to him, and then to involve themselves in the idea of prayer. Many invitations are given in the Bible to prayer. One of the more common opportunities of prayer, and quoted a lot by Christian people all over the place, 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll hear them from heaven. 
and will forgive their sin and restore their land. Specific promise, specific invitation, specifically given to a people in that time. But I think it still is apropos to us today. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, another powerful passage. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might come to God in this way. It says in the New Living Translation, there we will be received by His mercy. I love that. And we will find grace to help us in our hour of need. This is absolutely powerful. Max Lucado, a writer and a great writer and pastor, said this. He said, the power of prayer is not in the one who prays, but in the one who hears it. And I say to you today, you may talk to a lot of people that are important on the other end of the phone. And you and I have conversations with people that are very important, don't we? And some of them can be uh, game changers and situation adjusters and life changers, and they can mood change and everything else. And a phone call can make a big difference, right? But here we have the opportunity in this passage for something great. We have the opportunity, as we're talking to the creator of the universe, to realize that he has the opportunity to change atmospheres. He has the opportunity to do spiritual warfare in the unseen realm, and he can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. So he can go into the boardroom at your place of employment that has not been dedicated to God, is not a sacred place or space, and you can make it a sacred space. He can sanctify the room before you get there until the people who come into the boardroom will appreciate what you bring to the table, will recognize your hand is favored by God, and you, like Joseph, will be anointed among those who are not. It can be an absolutely wonderful thing what God can do. You, ladies and gentlemen, have the privilege of talking to God, the creator of the universe. And he wants to remind us in Cherryville, we have that privilege. But we look around our family sometimes and they're in chaos. We look around our neighborhood and it too is in chaos. And sometimes we look in our nation, it seems like any time, and there seems to be strife on some kind, something hitting the headline, and it just churns and churns and churns and churns. What are we to do? Well, it was churning here in this book of Jeremiah. And God said, God said, come to me. Call on me. In the New Hebrides Islands a number of years ago, Peggy and Christine Smith were no longer able to go to church. And some of you that are older may feel right now, and as we all get older, we feel... Do I really have anything to offer? I'm not in my prime years. I'm not looking to the future of my career. I already know what it was. I'm not looking to the future of family or a spouse. I already had all of that. I'm not sure what I'm looking forward to. One of them was 84. The other was 82. And they began to have a burden for their region that they might be able to experience God in a renewing, spiritual awakening way. And they wondered if God would be willing to show up in their area. And they began to pray, and they centered on these words. The scripture, when it says, I will pour out water upon him that is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. And they began to pray day and night as they had time. They couldn't get out and go to church. Peggy was blind, and her sister Christine was hunched over really badly with arthritis. They weren't able to get out and do hardly anything. But their cottage became command central, if you will, for the prayer vigil that began. And they began to pray. And eventually they ordered... The idea of a revival that would happen, Duncan Campbell came to town for a couple of weeks. He was not quite there on the same wavelength, but he began to realize that God was dialing him up and God was doing something in the community. And they prayed and they prayed and they continued praying. And as they prayed, they began to realize God is up to something special. And a two-week revival lasted two years. God began to do something unusual and extraordinary. They would keep praying and they would keep praying. God would keep moving. God would keep moving.
And one day Peggy, who could not see, said to Duncan, said, you're supposed to go over to the next island. And I want you to go over to the next island because God has said he is going to meet us there. He said, well, I don't particularly feel like God's calling me to the next island. She said, that's because you're not in tune with God. If you were as in tune as I am, you'd go. (laughs) She said, there will be seven strong men that will set up a church there. You go there, God will meet you there. He asked a friend to go with him because he was figuring it was a goose chase to some degree. But they went over there and he said, when we gathered in a building, they had already said, we are opposed to revival. It is against our policy. And yet these two old ladies have been praying and revival was breaking out in their island. They were praying for it to break out in the rest of the island. And Duncan got over there into a place where he was going to be speaking and the place was so full it was packed out to overflowing. And he realized there was a 15-year-old boy in the revival who was absolutely more connected to God than he was as a minister. And he said to that boy, would you lead us in prayer? And the boy said, sure. And 15-year-old boy stood to his feet and he began to pray. He began to pray and he prayed the scripture out of Revelation that he had read that morning. Nothing unusual, but he was talking about seeing into heaven and all the great things of God. And he says, let us see into your throne room. And something began to happen in the service. Men and women came under the conviction of God, as Jeremiah is saying right here. And as they were under the conviction of God, they said, Lord, align our heart with yours. Align our heart with yours. They didn't have a whole lot of emotion necessarily, though some seemed to slump forward, they said, and some seemed to slump backwards. Not necessarily slain on the floor, but just they were moved. Or what happened in the 70s with Asbury when they had been praying for some time for God to move, and they went in on an ordinary chapel service, and sometimes those chapel services can be the most boring on the planet. After you've sat through how many theology classes and then go to a... But they had been praying... The order of the day was different. For the minister who was scheduled to speak stood up and said, I don't think I'm supposed to preach today, but I think you're supposed to share something. Has God been doing something in your life and what is he wanting to do? And with that, what was supposed to be a one-hour chapel service lasted 144 hours straight. People would leave, go do what they had to, come back, and the Spirit was so settled and so strong in the place, the Spirit of God, that things started happening. They ended up going out of that place. People would go out of that place, and they went to about 130 other colleges and universities throughout. They sent out 2,000 teams to go out into different areas, and they would go, and they said they would just go into the places. It was not a hyper-emotional situation. There was not a lot of display of emotion. There was simply the presence of God, so real, that people said, I'm going to quit what I've been doing that I know is wrong. And they were drawn toward God. That is a spiritual awakening. It wasn't a lot of emotion. They said there wasn't a lot of hype. It was just an unusual awareness of God. And I thought about this business of revival. I thought about this business of spiritual awakening. And I thought how unusual it is that Jeremiah is saying here that the Lord says the first thing is call to me. That is the first thing he's saying. And when you call to him and you begin to really call on him and you begin to look to God, you begin to look away from everything else. You begin to adjust your spirit. You begin to adjust to your thoughts to where you are centering in on God. Could it be that God wants to do something in our day? My friend Joe took over a pastorate. When he took over the pastorate, he said, I believe God's calling us to prayer services. Common theme, isn't it? Prayer. And he said, what we'll do is we'll pray, and we're going to begin to pray for our friends that are not Christians and our children that have strayed. And they began to pray. 
And over one year, they saw about 70 people that had no interest in God before, no time for Christ before, absolutely turn around and begin to call on the Lord to attend church every week, read their Bible, and became professing believers in Jesus Christ where they had not been before. What would happen if God would do it again? What would happen if it would happen to your family to where he was a priority, that he was the centerpiece of everything? I don't know what he wants to do with his message today, but it's the one I felt I should give to you. Believe you me, I pray a lot about what I give to you. God talks to me about what I should share. I'm sharing with you what I feel he gave me today for this service. And I spent a long time developing and praying on the messages and have people praying specifically for me and for its development. I don't know what he's wanting to say. Notice the incredible promise of prayer that happens here in this passage in verse 3. God says, I will answer. I will answer. So you know what that tells me? Prayer is not just a religious therapy. This prayer that he's talking about is not ecclesiastical gymnastics. He said, call to me and I will listen. I don't have to yell and scream, but I can. I don't have to do any funny motions to get his attention. He said, call. Call on me. Call on me and I will answer. You know what that tells me? Our God is alive. Our God is eager to listen. Our God is eager to interact. Our God is wanting to do an awakening. And it's as simple as prayer. It's as simple as surrender to him in a beautiful way. He is more relevant now than he has ever been at any time in history. And he is interested in us now. God sometimes says yes. He sometimes says no. He sometimes says grow or slow. He sometimes will say, here he comes. Get ready. God is up to doing something incredible in our lives. He said in chapter 32, I want you to go buy a field. I want you to go buy a field because it is a symbolic promise to what I'm getting ready to do. I want you to go buy a field because that is prophetically what I'm about to do. Because you're going to need to plan on that field. The days of drought, the days of darkness, the days of despair are about finished. The days of abundance are on the way, and I want you to be ready. He says, I want you to get your bucket, I'm going to fill it. I want you to get your barrel, I'm going to fill it. I want you to get your big swimming pool, I'm going to fill it. Lord, fill us again. This is what he is saying here. Abraham prayed to God in Genesis 21, and God gave him a son. When he was an old man, he was ready to go to the nursing home, all bent over, and God says, I'm going to give you a son. He could hardly believe it, and his wife thought he was nuts. 1 Kings 18, Elijah prayed for rain. Lord, send the rain, and he got rain. Psalm 34, David prayed, Lord, free me from the fear and the anxiety that I have, and God freed him from that. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, Solomon said, God, I want wisdom, and God gave him wisdom to the point that he was wiser than anybody around him, and he was able to outfox everybody and get all kinds of lumber, all kinds of wealth, all kinds of things that he was able to. Luke 18, the lady pressed through and pressed through in her persistence and said, God, touch my health, touch my health, and in these moments, God chose to touch her health. I believe God still answers prayer for us today. I believe he can do it right now in this service and right now for those of you watching. George Mueller ran the orphanage. You know his stories. But George Mueller knew the power of prayer. He said the great fault of God's children is they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. We need to persevere until we get a breakthrough. It's not the first day. 
that the breakthrough always comes. I read about a pastor, Stephen Bly, who was a pastor out west, and he talked about one of the men of his church. And the man of his church was about 84. And he had a neighbor boy who was involved in mischief. Not necessarily a relative, just a neighbor boy, and he was involved in mischief. And he said, I got a burden for that boy to pray. Whenever Pastor Bly went over to the old man's house, he said, I got a burden to pray for that boy. And he said, so I'm spending two hours a day Just letting that soak in. It's soaking, right? Two hours a day praying because I want change. Two hours a day. He said, then I take a couple mile walk and I pray on the walk after I've spent a couple hours praying. I want change. And he said, on top of that, I'm fasting two meals a day. I want change. And Pastor Steve said, how long are you going to do that? He said, for as long as it takes. And he said, how long have you been doing that? For 40 days. One meal a day, two hours of praying for change in his neighbor boy. On day 51, that boy got absolutely transformed by the power of God. When he said, I've had enough. I want to know about God. Can you lead me to God? I can't keep going this way. The old timers, and even when I was a kid, they had enough old time embers left over. They used to talk about the hounds of heaven. <laughs> That's a retro term, the hounds of heaven. That means the, the Holy Spirit will hound down those who are not trusting in Christ and get a hold of them and transform their heart. Friends, we don't need another law, we need transformation of heart. Oh, we need laws, I know. But we don't need, we need a transformation of heart. If my people call by my name. And I want to look at the incredible power of prayer. God says, I want you to pray. I want you to call on me. I want you to get dead serious about it. No fooling around, call on me. And he says, I want you to do this. And he gives the incredible promise, I will hear you. And then notice verse 3, what your Bible says. I will show you great and mighty things. I will show you great and mighty things, which you don't know right now. I'm going to reveal to you hidden truths, great truths that you right now are not in a position to understand. You've been bringing me a bucket, you need to bring me a barrel. You've been bringing me a barrel, you need to bring me a swimming pool. You need to just bring me a flat-out desert, he's saying in this passage, something big enough that it can't contain me, and I will just flood the lands. I'll pour water on the dry lands, he's saying here. Verse 3, ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know things about. There are things to come. And right now, people want to know about the prophetic. What is to come? What is the future? He says, I'm going to show you things to come. Ephesians chapter 3 Verses 20 and 21 said, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you ask or think, to him, verse 21 continues, to him be the glory in the church, not to any one of us, not to those old ladies in the Hebrides, not to that teacher, professor, 
preacher who said, now let's talk in the chapel. No, not to them, but to the Lord, glory in the church, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations and forevermore. And when it said through all generations, I put that in this passage, in my message today, because I want you to understand it is for every generation to experience the transforming power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can do this, and we can have this, but it's according to the power that's at work within us. Some of us don't need a microphone, we need a prayer room. And when we get a prayer room, we begin to talk to the audience that matters the most, who can do the most, who can change things the most. And he can do exceeding abundantly, right? Here he said it. And I believe he can. I believe he can. Prayer can reduce the great obstacles in our lives. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. I'll just tell you, I don't fully understand this passage, okay? I just don't. But it sounds good. And I've seen him do some stuff that I think were at least molehills. So I think he can do even bigger than that. <laughs> he says, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, if you just have some faith, that's all he's saying. If you can bring me a little vapor of faith, almost is what he's saying. Just a little lint. Mustard seed's not big, right? You can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you, God says. I heard about a lady who was not married, single lady. She had not been married. She wanted a husband pretty bad. And she went to the store and bought a pair of men's pants and put them on the end of her bed. And every night when she went to bed, she prayed, Lord, fill the pants with my man. <laughs> well, what did God do? What did God do with this prayer? What did God do in response to this? Let your Bible do the talking. Look at verse 6. He said, I'll give health and healing. That's beautiful. They needed it. He said, I'll give that. That health and healing comes from God. You, you've been in the hospital sometime. You see somebody said, and then one day I just all of a sudden started getting well. Verse 6, abundant peace and safety would be theirs. Isn't that awesome? Think of that. Verse 7, we'll be rebuilt as before. Isn't that awesome? Don't we want to be like we were before COVID? Quit all this foolishness? I don't call it foolishness in many. I just call it foolishness because of the evil and chaos it's created. They will be cleansed from all their sin, verse 8 says. Your Bible says in verse 8, they will be forgiven of all their rebellion, verse 9. They will be renowned. That's God saying that. That's not them saying, look at us, look at us, we're cool, we're cool. Nope, they will be renowned, God says. You will have joy, honor, and praise given to you from other nations. Verse 9. The nations will know that God has done great things. <laughs> not that you have done great, but God has done great things because he's going to be lived out before you in verse 10. You're going to have rejoicing because you're going to have weddings like your wedding in a week next Saturday. We'll be right here doing that, the Lord willing. And they would return to the house of God in gratitude, giving thanks offerings to God. Isn't this incredible? This is what they're going to be able to do. You see, God's touch and God's answer can do more for us in a moment than we can ever do for ourselves. And he says, call on me. Years ago, a young man 
left home and a Christian upbringing that his mother had brought him up in. And he had raised money to go off to school. He wanted to be a doctor, medical doctor. Nothing wrong with being a medical doctor, a physician. We need them, right? But he went to school and uh, he liked to party also. And so he started pawning off everything he could. Do you remember in Carrie Underwood's song, I think it's Underwood, that talks about the mom gave $50 in a Bible or something like that? You remember that? Well, his mom had given him a Bible and she had written in it. He pawned that off one time so he could get a bottle of whiskey to help him party. Eventually, he would graduate as a doctor and he became a physician. And as he was in his practice now, doing his work, there was an old man <clears throat> that had come into the hospital was sick near death. And the old guy realized he wasn't going to live that long. And he asked that they would contact his landlord, a lady, and ask her to bring a couple of things from his house and to bring along the book, he said. And he was in the room by himself, the old man was, realizing he was going to die. And so now he has his little Bible and a couple of little things that mattered to him, but he didn't have much of earthly goods. And the doctor came into the room and talked to him and said, it looks like you're getting near the end. He said, yes. And he said, I'm at peace and I'm ready to go. The doctor left the room and came back a little while later making the rounds and the man had passed away. And he called the nurse in to help go through some of the guy's stuff to get it ready to notify anybody if there was even next of kin. And when the nurse lifted something, there on the table was that little book, the little Bible. And Dr. McKay said, let me see that. He grabbed that, he opened up the first flap, and that flap had the words of his mother in the Bible she had given him decades before. He took that and he went down to his office. And when he got down to his office, he bowed his head in prayer and he said, Oh God, forgive me. Forgive me for the way I have gone. And prayers of his mother years before became answered in him. He wrote a number of hymns and songs, spiritual songs. One of them we used to sing a lot. We're going to close our song service today with this song. Revive us again. Fill each heart with your love. May each soul be rekindled, spiritual awakening, be rekindled with fire from above, authentic fire from above, indescribable fire from above. Then the chorus goes, hallelujah, echoes back, thine the glory, hallelujah, amen, hallelujah, thine the glory, and it concludes, tying the bow around it all, revive us again. Let's bow our heads, musicians come, get ready, we're going to sing that song, the Lord willing. Father, right now, we don't know what you're going to do with this scripture and this message that you've given me today, I don't know, but here we are. Here we are. We've had enough trinkets of life to know they're pretty empty at the end of the day. 
had enough experiences in life to know that they last just for a while. We've met enough people to know that there is hunger everywhere. And we've met you and know that you are the answer, the giver, and the sustainer of life. So right now in this moment, we ask that you would hear our prayer. Make us hungry and thirsty after things of righteousness because you called the house of God first. Then you called the people. And help us to open our hearts to receive you in any way you want to be received today. Show us what you want to show us. Lord, may you rekindle us in some way in our hearts to where in our homes they are houses of prayer. To where in our cars they are cabins of prayer. To where when we go to our work they are cubicles of prayer. To where when we meet up with other people we don't have to preach at them but we can be available with a good word for you and contagious heart for you. Renew us, Lord. Renew this part of Pennsylvania. Renew, renew our area and reach to our lost loved ones, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Let's